0: His famous intuition was right after all. He framed that Mexican kid, Sanchez, but he didn't even need to. The kid confessed about that bomb. So, it turns out Quinlan was right after
1: all. Isn't somebody going to come and take him away? Yeah, in just a few minutes. You really liked him, didn't you? The cop did. The one who killed him. He loved him. Well, Hank was a great detective, all right and a lousy cup. Is that all you have to say for him? He was some kind of a man. What does it matter what you
0: say about people? Goodbye, Tanner. Adios.
1: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John.
0: And my name is Ian Woodington.
1: And before we get into today's episode, I got to do a quick shout out to the newest patron of A Thousand and One by One. Um, I, I, and This one's fun for me a little bit. So uh, shout out to Brett Martinez. Um, Brett Martinez is a former student of mine. Um, when I taught uh, movement up at Western a couple of years ago, he was one of my students in my Gritovsky inspired movement class. And um, he, he's been listening and kind of, been we've, we've definitely been doing our job of getting him to, watch new things and we, we introduced him to the book which has been a, a gu- nice guiding point for his own film exploration that's awesome
0: so well, welcome brett um, thank you so much man thank you for for supporting the show any standouts that he saw that he had to talk to you about
1: afterwards um there was some in the email he also sent a, a list of uh, potential recommends for us to talk about which oh, awesome I, I don't know much about which is great so I, i'll i'll share those with you off mic okay but just just a quick quick shout out to brett for for supporting the show so thank awesome. you very yeah, much thank you so much brett um, and also, as we always do before the show, we will give you some recommendations for the week. Um, I'm going to go first because mine is so seasonally out of place that I just I need to do it now before we get much further removed. Um, if you listened to our uh, Oscar recap slash looking forward to 2020 uh, episode, um, I mentioned that I had to replace one of my movies on my top 10 with Klaus. And I'm going to just take a quick second to talk about Klaus because I was so fucking moved by this movie. Um so if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, um, and basically we follow uh, Jesper, who is voiced by Jason Schwartzman, and he's a really shitty, like, um, postal delivery guy. His, I think his dad, like, runs it, and um, he's very much the spoiled, pampered brat, and it, it just expects everything to be given to him. But his dad sort of gives him a, a quest to go on, basically. He has to go way the fuck out to this northern city, um, what is it called, Smearenburg and um and not and not
0: as an indictment of Jason Schwartzman at all because I know he comes from a very famous family but hearing that voice come out of that character it was pitch perfect yeah, and again yeah. that's got nothing to do with him no, as no. an actor or his background it just it it works
1: well and he, he he plays a lot of characters like that too i mean whether they're as whiny as him uh, that's up for debate but like i think he does like a lot of the characters tend to come from privilege and and that so he has to go up and he he basically is given he's got to deliver like a thousand letters in the time that he's there and this town is shitty and it's got these two warring families and they fucking hate each other and you know when nobody's sending mail to anybody because they they all live in the same area they're you know how is he going to do this job and then we we meet our santa claus character who's voiced by jk simmons and um so and again, another
0: great piece of casting, yes. voice acting wise. Like he, again, hearing that voice come out of that character,
1: perfect. It was great. Um, and essentially, what they um, there's this uh, little kid who um, gets a toy delivered to his house uh, by Santa. Uh, Because he kind of wrote it, he wrote a letter, and that's so. So basically, these kids start to believe it. Like, if you write this guy a letter, he's going to give you a toy, and so now Jason Schwartzman is racking up all these letters, which he's supposed to be doing. But and in the meantime, he's met this teacher who's Rashida Jones, and he's starting to fall for her. And the town is actually starting to connect. There's a great, like, literally, there's a wall in the town, and the wall comes down. So it's also like fucking totally relevant too. Um, And it's just, it's a nice spin on the the Santa mythology. I I loved I loved everything happening in the movie. I thought Jason Schwartzman's character had a nice redeeming quality to it. You're not sure if he's going to help. Like the the story of the the elves essentially being just these people from another country coming to help and it's I the elves were a standout. This 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 movie is just so chock full of just sweet, tender moments and watching people triumph over sort of adverse odds and I, I can't say enough about how much I was I was emotionally moved by this movie. Um, and again, as I mentioned, it helps that I was watching it with my family. That definitely skewed my view, um, but I, I cannot recommend it enough. And, and, and to be totally honest, I, I fuck the fact that it's a Christmas movie. Turn it on now. I, I might rewatch it in July just to do it. It's on Netflix. It's not going anywhere. It sounds like it's going to become a, a Christmas staple in the St. John household. Far and away. Awesome. Far and away. It 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 it's such a, a beautiful movie, beautiful movie, and I cannot recommend it enough.
0: Awesome, yeah. So Ian, well, what Liz do you got? Liz loved oh, it as well. Oh, good. So yeah. you're
1: the, you're the only one
0: without a soul. I'm yes. I'm I'm the Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> in this particular. You know, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Okay, so Ian, what do you got? I have from 2013, Dom Hemingway.
1: Please, please. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Dalma Hemingway is directed by a guy named Richard Shepard. I became familiar with his work um, about 2004, 2005, I think. He made a film with Pierce Brosnan and Greg Kinnear called The Matador, which is... you've se- Tell me you've seen no, that.
1: I, no, I haven't seen this either. I've heard of both of these movies. And they're both hilarious, like dark
0: and nasty. They're movies that don't... And he seems to be one of these directors that makes movies that don't give a shit. He's got one on Netflix right now called The Perfection. Okay. Which you may or may not have heard of. It's like making people sick to the point where they can't finish it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I haven't watched it yet either, but I'm, I'm pretty pumped too. Uh, so this is something of a, a revival for Jude Law. Cause I mean, he didn't really go anywhere, but he was not making amazing films. This is for me, this is like his killer Joe like, what what that did for Matthew McConaughey. And
1: he was going through, in the public eye, he was going through a bit of a... Yeah, he was...
0: He was on the outside looking in. Exactly.
1: So he plays the title
0: character, Dom Hemingway. Uh, It also features Richard E. Grant, who you know I love very much, of course, from With Nell and I. Uh, Damien Bashir is also in, as well as Carrie Condon, and uh, Amelia Clark plays his daughter. She's, of course, Game of Thrones. Uh, Anyway, so he has been in prison for 12 years. In fact, this film is... uh, broken up with with these little chapter headings, and one of the very first ones is 12 years is a long time. And it opens with him in prison, and it's a shot from his sort of abdomen up, and he's shirtless. We find out he's completely naked, and he's uh, receiving oral from some unknown we we can't see who's who's going down on him but anyway while he's he's this is happening to him he is giving one of the best monologues i have ever seen in film and it starts with is my cock magnificent and he just goes on and on and on about how awesome his appendage is oh there's a moment where he says it should be portraits of my cock should be hung in the louvre wars should be fought over it men and women should die over it it's just it goes on and on it's brilliant brilliant piece of writing sorry if I offended anybody um Eh. whatever so he gets out of prison and the first thing he does is goes and beats the ever loving shit out of the guy that uh, sort of took over his position of head of household his uh, daughter doesn't want anything to do with him His wife died of cancer while he was in prison. And of course, like an arrogant prick, he goes and beats up the guy that took care of his dying wife. There's another, again, this movie is just chock full of great dialogue, but I had to include this when I was telling you about this film. He comes up to him and as he's beating him, he says, you fucker. She was my betrothed. You're nothing but a pestilence. You're an uphill gardener with a weak chin. I I don't know what that means, but I love it. (laughs) Love it. Hey, so the whole point is he, he meets up with Richard E. Grant, who is a, um, an old compatriot of his. Richard E. Grant is missing a hand in the film, which they don't address for like half the movie. And when they do, it's awkward as shit. Because, of course, he's been in prison. He goes, well, I thought it because it's one like black gloved prosthetic hand and then his normal hand without a glove. Yeah. And he's like, well, I didn't know you were missing a hand. Why didn't you tell me? Like, Why would I tell you? I just I thought it was a fashion statement. you mean a fashion statement I've been in prison for 12 years I don't fucking know so he gets back together with this character and they go out um, to France where they meet up with the Damien Bashir character who was his boss and the guy that he kept his mouth shut about and there's a massive confrontation between these two that ends really rather poorly Mm -hmm. for him and he loses all the money that was waiting for him when he got out of prison. And so he goes back to the UK and it's about him trying to reconnect with his daughter, try and find his money. It's just a very, very darkly funny film. Like nasty, don't give a shit, in Bruges okay. style Th- of humor. Was,
1: that it seems McDonough-esque. It is okay.
0: very much. You could i don't i don't think it's as well structured as some of his stuff but you could definitely see that it's cut from the same cloth
1: okay cool
0: i i I love it i must have seen this movie a half a dozen times already you're not the first person to recommend it to me oh i'm not no no great awesome yeah you're gonna like it a lot
1: okay well i will i will do my best to scout that out cool well there you go those are our recommendations this week uh, none of which have anything close to do with the movie that we're actually talking about today, um, which is the 1958 noir Touch of Evil. Um, so this movie is uh, written and directed by Orson Welles. It is based on the Wit Masterson book, Badge of Evil. Um, what do you think? Badge of Evil or Touch of Evil? What do you like? I
0: I think I have a pretty good arg- argument for both titles. I think they okay. could both work. Cool. I think I prefer... Because of how much of the film focuses on the uh, Janet Lee character, I think Touch of Evil works. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but oh, cool. but I'm Badge of that. Evil is just as good too.
1: Um, so uh, the people in this movie. So we have Charlton Heston, um, horribly miscast as Ramon Miguel Vargas. Uh, Janet Neeb, Janet Lee, excuse me, plays his wife Susan. Orson Welles plays uh, police captain Hank Quinlan. Uh, Joseph Callea plays his partner Pete. Is it Menzies? Menzies, great. Um, and then, uh, sorry for the pronunciation. I'm, I'm doing my best here. So we have uh, a Kim Tamaroff plays uh, Uncle Joe Grandy, Dennis Weaver as the night manager, uh, Val De Vargas as Poncho. I'm going. If I leave people out, just go ahead and put them in there. Uh, Mort Mills plays Al Schwartz, and then some fun, some fun, some fun random ones. We got Zsa Zsa Gabor plays the strip club owner, uh, Marlena Dietrich as Tanya mercedes mccainbridge uh and in, in one scene as a hoodlum and an uncredited joseph cotton as the coroner
0: i'm just glad you called out Joseph. oh cotton. of course because he's got a great piece of dialogue as well which wasn't actually him oh he, well, you know he was there he says the line but wells for whatever reason dubbed it
1: oh thanks yeah. thanks orson
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if like there was something wrong with the way he delivered it or if the sound in, was yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so we don't have to get into this now, but I, as I go down my little basic stat thing here, I have the three different running times. Do we want to save this for later? Yeah, that's a bigger conversation. So we should probably move on to the other films that Wells has in the book. Exactly. So he is also in here for Citizen Kane, not surprisingly in 1941, the magnificent Ambersons in 42. Have, have you seen any, have you seen that?
0: I have not seen Ambersons, but I understand that there's an issue with
1: Different cuts of that uh, film as well. The Criterion just came out not too long ago. Right, that has that. Um, the Lady from Shanghai, nineteen forty-eight. Never, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that either. Uh, Chimes at Midnight, which probably should be the next one I see because it's it's a Falstaff uh, story. So I, I just I'm I'm. Excited but supposedly, to
0: see it bears very little resemblance.
1: Oh, I, that's what I understand too. But I'm just bringing that Shakespeare world into into a film. Um, and then the last movie he's in here for is F for Fake.
0: Which is a pseudo documentary yeah. kind of rambling narrative, yeah
1: um so uh critically this so this movie was not uh, a movie that was up for like really any awards at the time um uh, I don't know what the Cahiers du Cinema is.
0: So uh, Truffaut, that was a magazine in France that we mentioned very, very briefly in our 400 Blows episode. Okay, and Truffaut, great. That's where Truffaut got his start. He started as a critic. Ah. So they gave it... Uh, it was their number one film in their top 10, right? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I looked at the whole top 10. Very interestingly, Bergman had three films in
1: the top 10 that year, according to their list. Ooh, awesome. Um, and then I... but but. There is enough that happened with this movie that I get to say this. Ian, has this movie been inducted into the National Film Registry? Of
0: course, in 1993. Again, a a really great year. I think I've mentioned this year before: Badlands, Blade Runner, Cuckoo's Nest, Mm. Godfather Two. Ooh, good year. Good year. Great year.
1: Mm, Aged like a fine wine. Indeed. Um, So it
0: was. If I could interject with the awards, it was presented at the 1958 Brussels. World Film Festival, which was part of the 1958 World's Fair. Now, Mm -hmm. Universal tried to block it. Yes, they did. It ended up there anyway, and it won the International Critics Prize, which was awarded to it by both Truffaut and Godard. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also gave uh, Wells a sort of lifetime achievement award or award recognizing his entire body of work. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Did you get any, did you pull any critical stuff for I
0: searched high and low. For Mr. Bosley Crowther, And apparently, I don't know if he wasn't writing for the New York Times at that point, but I found the guy who was writing for the New York Times, a Mr. Howard Thompson. That's who I got to. I was disappointed that there was no I was so where's Bosley? Where was does he taken a year off? God like, damn what, it, Bosley. Where were you? Fuck. Because yeah. I'm sure he would have he would have had some things to say about I, this film, I think.
1: I'm sure he would have used some great bombastic words and verbiage to express his thoughts. But
0: I don't want to take anything away from Howard Thompson. It seemed like based on this one review, it seemed like he was a pretty competent
1: writer. Yeah. Uh, uh, So I, I bracketed a couple of parts. Um, I, I did like uh, there's a paragraph in the middle where it any other competent director might have called a pretty good, well-acted melodrama from such material. With a suspense dwindling as justice begins to triumph, as happens here. Mr. Wells, is, Mr. Wells is an obvious but brilliant bag of tricks. Using a superlative camera manned by Russell Meddy, like a black snake whip, he lashes the action right into the spectator's eye. The careful groupings of the cast, the overlapping of the speeches, and other stylized trademarks of the director's Mercury Players unit are here. But the tempo, at least in the first half, is plain mercury as befits a thriller
0: the only other thing i would have highlighted as part of his review is i really like his opening line is thanks to orson wells nobody and we mean nobody
1: will nap during touch of evil i also like the ending um two questions The first to Mr. Wells, who obviously savors his dominant colorful role. Why would a villainous cop, having hoodwinked the taxpayers for some 30 years, suddenly buckle when a tourist calls his bluff? And why Mr. Heston picked the toughest little town in North America for a honeymoon with a nice morsel like Miss Lee? You could tell this was written in 1958. (laughs) Yeah, because he's a nice morsel, like Miss Lee. Yeah, that's not the not okay. the not the
0: greatest way to phrase that. Oh, not good.
1: Um, and then uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it has a currently has a ninety six percent uh uh critical and a ninety two audience. It's not on the IMDb top two, fifty, which I think is a shame. Yeah, whatever. So, but I guess before we get into the movie, I, I'm gonna I'll put it out there right now. A lot of times, I think I we mentioned like maybe a conversation, maybe swaying us one way or the other. I'm on. I really am on the fence at this moment. I'm a little surprised by that. Well, let's let's talk about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. And maybe part of part of my on the fenceness is trying to think about the plot of this movie. It's, it's kind of confusing. Is it though? Well, let let's let's go. Let's talk about it. All right. Would you 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 would like me to do the plot? Well, we'll go. I'll, I'll We'll go. We'll go. We'll do it together.
0: You want to go beat for a beat through this thing? We don't do that every episode. I don't, we certainly can. I don't want to go beat for beat. Okay. Yeah, we don't have to.
1: But I mean, so I guess so. It. You can't help but start at the top, and at the top with that great
0: opening sequence it's, that set the bar.
1: It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, the charging shot.
0: Nothing like that had ever been done. No, no,
1: and and it's not just you know the the length of it, but
0: three minutes and twenty some odd seconds.
1: But I, I, there's so many things. Like watching the shadows, when the when the guy's running away, um, I love I love how that you can hear the music kind of fade up and fade down as we get further away from the. Well, car at least to- in this cut, well, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I, and for the record, we both watched the reconstruction. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah that that was uh I forget the one guy but Walter Merch was
0: yeah. the and of course the uh one one award we didn't talk about actually two awards both the LA and New York film going, critics yeah. gave the the restoration a couple of special awards which is great that they would recognize that and the, the totally. work it took to, to put this thing together Absolutely absolutely but that tracking shot again sidebar also featured an in imbruge in the opening tracking shot of Touch of Evil it, on one uh Brendan Gleeson's character is on the phone with is, Ralph. That, is that what's playing that's what's playing oh, okay. in the background yeah yeah.
1: I do, I, there you go yeah it's been a hot minute since i've seen in Bruges. well so.
0: that's you should you should watch it again well, of put, course, it, put it put it back the in your face
1: fucking fantastic um so okay i there's so much okay let's just do, let's do the pl- let's try to get through the plot first because there are so many things i have to say so um what's oh, what's his name who, who dies what's his name it's L- Lineker. Lineker. Um, so he dies because the bomb has been put into his trunk and it explodes and uh, he dies. So and he dies on the U.S. side of the border. Uh, apparently, you could just walk across pretty much at ease back in the day. This is
0: 1958. Yeah.
1: Um, and so uh, and and Heston is is he a cop? Heston is, he a, is, Heston is a lawyer a from lawyer. Mexico City okay. who has
0: married um, a young woman from Philadelphia, Yes, which is great. I love that they addressed uh, a sort of interracial marriage, even though they could have actually cast a, a Mexican fella as...
1: And apparently they flipped the, the race with yes, the book.
0: Yes, in, in the book it was the other way around. Yeah, I, I do think it is, because I know we're going to have to address this, so we may as well just do it right now.
1: That's one of the things I was going to talk about. Let's, Heston,
0: Heston getting cast as, as a Mexican... It's unfortunate casting.
1: Um, well, here's it's, it's unfor- plenty of
0: fine Latino actors out there. I don't know how well, many in the fifties, but
1: it's it's unfortunate for for many reasons. It's unfortunate that they just they cast it that way. So that that's one thing right there. Um, it's unfortunate that he talks so glowingly about like making his skin look more olive and, and growing a mustache to look more Mexican. I'm like, cool. Great. That hasn't aged. Well, him retrospectively saying, you know, the one thing I regret was not doing a an Hispanic accent. I'm That's really another thing that I regret,
0: but it's a point that I think works in his favor that he didn't try. No, no, Cause no, it could have made the performance so much more.
1: I don't give him credit for that. It sounds like he wanted to. Right. So no, oh well, I'm, I,
0: I'm glad that somebody reined him in yeah, and said, no, yeah. don't do that. Um,
1: I but I I was gonna save this for later, but I, I I guess I can just say it now. Is Charlton Heston a good actor? Now my filmography of him doesn't run deep. I've seen a lot of the biggies, and I I am not impressed.
0: Yeah, Ben Hur, Planet of the Apes, Planet of the Apes. Have you seen the Omega Man?
1: Bits and pieces. Yeah. I just I don't get it, and, and and I swear I I'm not I'm I'm not personal politics and and his views on a lot of things. I'm not. I'm just straight up talking about him on screen i'm i'm not i I just don't find him and again
0: i haven't seen i've seen maybe five of his films yeah i've seen about four yeah and i think he gives an extremely compelling performance in ben-hur and that may be a little biased just because i do genuinely enjoy that film a lot the ending aside which i think ben-hur is yeah it's probably a half hour too long but it is a triumphant achievement and i i think he's suited to it I think he had that very – Because I think we look at acting, and you're, you're probably going to be able to weigh in on this a lot more than I will. I think we look at acting a little differently now. And I think people hired actors based on – well, that's Charlton Heston. You know what I mean? Like, oh. I think they hired them just because of, of who they are yeah. and what that name means. And I'm sure – of course that still happens today.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I think so too. But you're
0: like, we want a Charlton Heston type for this role.
1: You know what I mean? That yeah.
0: I feel like that attitude was probably a lot more prevalent. And when you hi- same with John Wayne, yeah, right. That was when you went to a John Wayne movie, you knew you were getting. Didn't matter what character he was playing, he was it was John Wayne. Yeah, same with Heston. Yeah. I think he falls into that category as well. There were just guys that were them.
1: And I think that's that's. And and maybe if I if I could, if I if I'd seen more of his his work, I, I could speak out more to like wh- where he stands out. And 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 Ben Hur, I think is the is the obvious example, uh, just because of the length and and the scope and and everything that that movie tries attempts to to tell and and the the long runtime that it goes through. I just I I, I I he was. I mean, there were like seven or eight people running laps around him in this movie. I mean, I just I found him to not be remotely as compelling or charismatic as a lot of the people on screen. I mean, and there are people whose performances I didn't like in the movie who I still found more interesting to watch based on them making choices. Another hot take, I guess. Is it what Dennis Weaver? Is that his name? Yeah. A fucking garbage. That's the shitty performance. That is so, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I don't know how he got away with it. That, Apparently that's what they wanted. Oh, which is just nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that was. Oh my god! Didn't like that at all. Jumping way ahead. We haven't even talked about the fucking plot of this movie yet. I'm so sorry, but it's, it's, it's all right. We'll get happen. there.
0: Okay, you you feeling okay? Yep. You yeah. All right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. I don't. I don't know. We can theorize all we want, but yeah, I, I feel like actors were were hired just because, not because of their range, but because we can sell this movie. Yes. with Charlton Hesse and I, that was that was 100% why he was cast is yeah. we need we need the name to sell this and he was late 50s one of the hottest things going yeah oh totally totally um okay so back t- back to the plot so it's this little border town, it's uh, Los Robos, which is a, a fake town. It's standing in for, they wanted to go to Tijuana. Of course, the studio said, absolutely not. You cannot go to Tijuana. So yeah. it's sort of standing in for that type of border town. Yeah. Uh, the uh, construction magnet, yep. uh, Lineker, he goes across the border. He's got a young woman with him, probably a dancer from one of the clubs that he's picked up. Mm-hmm. She has a great line where she says, I've got this, I can hear this ticking in my, I love that little beat.
1: That's a weird moment, but I, I, I,
0: I really like that. It's, it's good. And just to, again, sidebar slightly, Liz 100% was in this movie during that tracking shot. She was zoned in completely. That's still, I want to just reemphasize the power of this three minutes and 20 some odd seconds. Oh, yeah. Um Car explodes, as you say, just on the U.S. side. And of course, Mike Vargas, the the Charlton Heston character, the lawyer from New Mexico, and his lovely young bride from Philadelphia, they're there to witness it. And of course, being the stand up, sort of law abiding guy that he is mm-hmm. and the justice seeker, uh, gets himself deeply involved. Yeah. Uh, and of course, one of the first people that he butts heads up against is this Hank Quinling character, this renowned well, big in size and big in reputation fellow, of course, played by Orson Welles. He's there with his partner, Menzies. Yep. And instantly tensions fly. They don't want the Charlton Heston character butting into their affair. It's on their side of the border. It's a U.S. citizen. They want to deal with this their own way. And, of course, him and his wife get separated. His wife gets picked up by the Uncle Joe Grandy character. Yeah. Who is a... Uh, sort of hood, sort of gangster. His brother is under indictment for, for. for narcotics, and the Mike Vargas character yeah. is investigating that. So they're kind of squeezing her to, hey, you know, putting the screws to her saying, you know, this is a kind of a warning. Yeah. You know, don't, you got to tell your husband to back off. Yep. From there, yes, the plot does get a little more complicated. And it is, I, I do, what I really love about this film is its use of cross-cutting, because that wasn't the way this film cross-cuts the three stories of these three characters, that wasn't done back well, then. I that, mean yeah,
1: yeah. And that seemed to be the biggest issue, the—oh, my God, who fucking made this movie? Orson Welles. No, not Orson Welles. The,
0: oh, Universal.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Universal seemed to have the biggest issues with. It seemed like, from from what I could gather from the memo, the 58-page memo, is it seemed like— Did it, you read the whole thing? No, no. Oh, I did. Oh, the, I, the I did. notes version. <laughs> um, I have it. I, I mean, it's, it came with the DVD that I, yeah. that I have, but I— it seemed like the biggest thing was was getting those getting that back into the movie, right? And that 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 yeah, Universal was not the biggest fan of that.
0: Well, I I think it works well. I love oh the, I do too the I tension think it's, that I think it's, it's able to yeah. build. So Quinlan and and Vargas they're off doing their investigation. There's a lot of underhanded shit that happens between them, and meanwhile, his poor wife, the Janet Lee character, is being hounded by Pancho. Yeah uh one of uh it's uncle joe grandy's nephew, mm-hmm. the son of the guy that's being indicted. And uh she ends up at this this small hotel in the middle of nowhere. You've got the the Dennis Weaver character who comes into it yeah. who is just batshit crazy. Yeah. And they uh the gang following her yeah, go on to terrorize her yep. and uh set her up uh, to I guess well, I don't know how would you word it. They they set her up to to well, be a sort of fall guy and to be a sort of smear on the Vargas at, name.
1: If, at first, it's ju- I think it's just to sort of uh, besmirch his good character, right? Right, that his wife is is actually on drugs and, and yeah, they're going to
0: set it up that oh, they're they're not just narcotic investors; they they're using
1: as well, but and bef- they're involved in. Before we get to what the, she actually gets kind of roped in for, we we have the stuff. So so Vargas and Quinlan are. Essentially, they, they end up interrogating a guy named Sanchez who was dating Lineker's daughter – or married – sorry, they got married. Secretly yeah, got they married. secretly got married. And uh, Quinlan is is convinced that Sanchez is the one who put the dynamite in the car. Um, there's a great bit where
0: um, – They go out to the construction site. They go to set off some dynamite, and it's a small explosion, and they make the quib. Ah, you're missing – You know, they make a a, a crack about a small explosion. You must be missing some dynamite.
1: Yeah. Well, and the, the, the shot in the bathroom where the box is empty and then a few minutes later, there's... The box is full. It's full. And that's a great bit where, you know, Quinlan doesn't say, you know, oh, fuck, you got me, but... No, now he knows who he's dealing with. He knows that he's yeah, he Vargas. Is, Vargas is
0: onto it because yeah. he's the one that saw that the box was empty and then the box comes out of the bathroom with two sticks of dynamite in it. Yeah, and the, so, the two sticks of dynamite that were supposedly missing yeah. from the Lineker company.
1: And so now Quinlan has a reason to sort of, in a way, team up with Grandy because they both now want Vargas kind of out of the picture and they can kind of help each other out, which ultimately leads to Quinlan... Uh, pulling a fast one on Vargas, strangling him because, as he tells, um, as he tells Menzies earlier, it's the best way to kill somebody. Oh, he strangles Grandy. Sorry, yeah, he, Quinlan strangles Grandy, but he he's, he has a conversation with Menzies earlier about that being the most efficient way to kill somebody.
0: Right, because that's how his wife was killed, yeah. and that's the only guy he never caught was yeah. the guy that killed his wife, and so we have and sort so, of that motivation. Yeah,
1: and so now uh, Janet Lee. As uh, as Mrs. Vargas, Miss Vargas, um, is now. She's the kind of pawn she, in their she, scheme. Yeah, she's now looking like she might have had something to do with his death because they find them all in the same room, and then um, it's it's Menzies who essentially uh, has to turn on Quinlan because he finds the cane left behind in the motel room because Quinlan has a game leg that gives him some sort of like sixth sense as as ah, something's going on. And ultimately, it leads to this sort of great tracking shot. Not, I mean, like uh, stalking shot where Vargas is trying to listen to them record Quinlan uh, admit that he uh, that he was at, at 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 wrong at what was going on and that he's been planning evidence for years. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's the movie's been out for, you know, multiple decades. So let's so so what happens eventually is that Quinlan turns on his partner and shoots him. He's about to shoot Vargas. But Menzies is able to before he totally uh, slips slips over to to death, uh, shoots Quinlan and he dies. And then there's this mo- so so then so then, the Vargas leave, which apparently again was just you know don't got to stick around for any paperwork. They can just go. And then there's this moment with and I I, I like this guy so I want to make sure I, got, I get his name right. It's um so it's Mort Mills right as Schwartz and, uh, and uh, Marlena uh, Marlene Dietrich kind of having this little conversation at the end there as they're looking at Quinlan's body. And we find out that, that Sanchez actually did kill Leneker. And the movie ends with this, which is easily the quote of the movie, which is the, um, sorry, you're going to hear pages turning. Um, he was some kind of a man. What does it matter what you say about people? And it's Great.
0: I, I wish that had been the actual closing line of the movie just hard cut on that instead of their kind of Casablanca goodbye beginning a beautiful friendship kind of vibe
1: that comes off of that. Um, And, and then so that, so, so ends our movie. Um, So what's, so what's, what's your
0: conflict about why you're on the fence?
1: My conflict, it's multiple things. It's, it's, it's small things like the fact that Heston's miscast and I don't think he's very good in it. Um, That like Dennis Weaver is, I think he's atrocious in the movie, but then it then it's like it's kind of balanced the other way. Where I think I think Janet Lee is good. I think Orson Welles is good. I think Joseph Callea is really good. I really like him as the partner. That turn I think it's a it's a great hard turn he has to take to turn on his partner.
0: Yeah, the scene where Vargas is there, he's in the records room and he's going through all of their old cases, and yeah. you know they have their confrontation. Yeah, that is a really good character beat. Yeah. Not not for necessarily for Vargas, but definitely for
1: Menzies. And I I think the stuff with um with Janet Lee when she's on her own. Here's I, a part of it is is I I like some of the like there's certain scenes I think are great. I think when she's kind of being terrorized and and we're watching her have to deal with all these hoodlums, I think it's filmed really well. It, it's very tense. I get all of that. I think when um Quinlan and and Vargas are talking to Sanchez and there's like you know English please and there's a lot of tension going on there and and you know you know that something's going on because of the dynamite thing that comes up later I think there's some there's some good scenes there there's a lot of it's a lot of motivational things don't make sense to me like the fact that it's Quinlan's partner who's driving Susan out to that motel in the in the middle of nowhere and then, I think and, I think he offers to do it No no but I don't but I I, then I, 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 okay, I think that I think I think the Vargas character is is his his heroic nature is, is a flaw for him. And I get that. But there's a lot of things that he does that I just it's hard to be like, dude, I get that you want to find out what happened. But it is not your case. And you don't actually know really what is going on with your wife. That That is his
0: big folly. He aban- He essentially abandons her. And that is how she gets caught up in this. So she's she's being driven by Menzies is taking her away from this incident he's taking her, you know, to what they assume is safety because he's talked to he's talked to them about the fact that oh my wife was accosted by uncle joe grandy. He's trying to put, you know, the squeeze on me through her. So let's get her yeah. out of here. Menzies drives her out to that hotel in the Vargas's car and of course Joe Grandy follows them thinking that he's following Vargas not realizing that he's following oh shit now I'm following a cop. Menzies is on to the fact that he's being yes. followed and he rather stupidly arrests him Yeah. rather than telling him to go away because now Grundy is going to know exactly where Susan is. Yeah. So I, it's one of those, it's it's uh what I appreciate about this movie is watching all of those dominoes fall. It's like, oh shit, if you had done, you know what I mean? It's like, no, you shouldn't have done that because now this is going to set up that it's, it's the, the, the great, as we talked about, the great tension and the cross cutting is it's, is watching these people make these, you know, it's the best intentions kind of thing yeah. going horribly, horribly wrong.
1: No, I, I, no, I agree. I just, it, so that, that, that was part of it. And then you know, I was watching this movie and then one of the notes that I took was, um, I think this is around, uh, it's right around either before or after the, the acid gets thrown.
0: Now, sorry to interrupt. Is this your first time seeing
1: Touch of Evil? No, it was my second
0: time. And this is, do you know if, which cut you had seen previously?
1: Um, I don't off the top of my head.
0: Because I've only ever seen the reconstruction. I I,
1: be- I believe that's what I watched, though. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I watched. Um, but uh, so it's right around like they're they're starting to um, go into the first club. It's around the like, it's before we get the chili scene, where where Quinlan's talking to to Tanya about that. Um, and it's all just all the guys kind of going in and out of the club initially, and and just kind of investigating. And the note I had was there was there was a moment where Vargas and Quinlan are talking back and forth. And I said, I wish it was more crackling. I said, this doesn't stand up to the Maltese Falcon or the third man.
0: As far as like the, the what you would expect of noir ish dialogue. Yeah,
1: it's, 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 I wanted more of that. I get a little bit of it. It, when it's, it's Vargas and Sanchez and Quinlan, when it's the three of them, you, and I, I kind of get it there. I, I think it's,
0: I think part of this is the writer taking care of himself. Cause he knew, I mean, Wells knew that he was going to play Quinlan before he worked on the script and before he started directing it. Yes. So he gets to have that in the back of his mind. Oh, I'm playing this character. I'm going to give this character a lot of the best dialogue. And honestly, he does. And he gives some of the best dialogue to both himself and Marlene Dietrich, who he hired without telling the studio. Yeah. Which is great. I love the little anecdote about how when they found out, they didn't realize she was in it until they saw the first cut. And they were like, oh shit you put Marley well no we need to advertise that she's in this we can we can make some because she had been paid scale yeah and so they gave her a little bit more money in order to be able to use her name on the poster yeah so I think I think part of the issue is that I, I 100% believe it's the writer taking care of himself sure sure
1: I, it's just it, it and and I'm surprised it's funny you know we, we've covered you know about 60 70 movies so far on on the podcast and we've done a bunch of noir already which is which is great um, and it's just, I just find it interesting. I'm like, this, this doesn't really hold a candle to those, in, m- in my opinion. I just, I didn't find it to be as, as interesting or Which is as funny because it's
0: considered the last great noir of that classic period Which of Noir. Which I noirs. get. And,
1: and there are certainly the, the Dutch angles and, and the investigative say, nature of. I was
0: going to say, when we get into the final sequence of Heston stalking Menzies and, and Quinlan, you like yeah. the, the Dutch angles, it's not like the third man. Where they're very apparent right yeah. up front, and this movie is going to have a ton of them, and they're supposed to be off-putting, and they're supposed to make you kind of question what you're hearing and seeing, whereas this, they slowly creep in, and they, as the, the stalking gets more intense and as it gets closer to its conclusion, those Dutch angles get more extreme.
1: Yeah. And and uh, they're also pretty prevalent in the scene where Quinlan is strangling um, Grandy. Correct. Yeah. That start and and not just the Dutch angles, but like kind of extreme, disturbing close-ups. Like yeah. it's pretty vicious. No, as
0: a, as a, from a directing angle, the use of close-ups in this film is magnificent.
1: Th- they use them pretty well. They're not all the time, but they, yeah, they do. When use, they do, they're great. Yeah. Um, there, I, I, there's just a, there's a small little bit I have to bring up because it, it's one of my favorite little things in the movie. So there's a part where, uh, uh, Vargas has to, um, he wants to call and check in on Susan and that's when they're, they're talking to Sanchez. So he goes across the street and the, the, uh, the woman running the thing is blind. And so he goes, Oh, can, can I use the phone? And she says, sure. There's a sign behind I, I'm it. I'm so
0: glad you called. Oh, that. I have
1: to bring it up. That sign is great. If you are mean enough to steal from the blind, help yourself. Yeah. She's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Love and, that, And kind of like, I don't know, there's something about the idea of, of Quinlan being somebody who plants evidence and like, help, or, you know, hurting people who, who didn't need, like hindering their cases, like doing something wrong to benefit himself. Like there's something about that line, that little bit that doesn't get said. It's not said in the movie. It's just there on like a little placard. It seems kind of um, fitting for the movie in general, not just for that one little moment in, in, in the store. I just thought that was a, a, no. a weird thing to bring up.
0: Well, i i i love the i love the sort of the the juxtaposition of his character. I mean, he is a cop. He's got you know a reputation. You know, he is very well respected. I mean, i i like that trope of the the good cop, quote in quotes, good cop doing bad things in order to justify you know the the ends sort of justify the means yeah yeah I, I, I I've always loved that in film I've always loved playing with that gray area which is what noir is so fantastic about doing the, yeah. the, these these types of characters these are my characters these are the types of gray area people that I really want to explore are they really good or are they really bad I mean that's I this I came into this thinking this was going to be a gush fest because I I'm this is probably after the third man my favorite noir of all time I mean, from from the classic period of noir, sure, yeah, yeah I yeah. would rank this above um, Maltese. Maltese Falcon and maybe just above Double Indemnity. If I was to rank like my Ooh. top three, it's oh, it's God. third it's third man this and then Double Indemnity, oh, and haven't. then maybe Night of the Hunter.
1: I haven't seen that yet. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, the 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 Robert Mitchum. Yeah. Oh, it's that is some tough. I'm surprised they got away with with what they got away with in that film, because it's 1955, I mean, this is 1958. One thing I really did want to make sure we highlight in talking yeah. about this is is the Hayes Code, and we've talked about that at length before in other episodes, you know, before the MPAA became a thing, and, yeah. and ratings were that. I love the idea of, as we have to deal with what happens to the Janet Lee character, as they're setting her up to be a dope fiend, and, you know, there's characters who may or may not be on drugs. There's a great moment in the motel Uh, where the night manager, the Dennis Weaver character, comes back and he sees this gang led by Pancho. They're all hanging out, terrorizing Janet Lee over the phone and piping the music into her room. And there's a character in the background who does some amazing background work as he's just dancing to nothing. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, it, it, it further supplants in your mind if you're watching is, oh, these guys are on drugs, which we find out later that they're not. They're they just take the reefer and they blow it on her clothes to make her smell like, like marijuana. And then the sort of skating around that they had to do, the fact that they were smoking marijuana. I mean, nobody could be seen to be doing it. They could reference it. And we see a joint, we see the end of a joint and the, the, the rape that may, I I love how we're led to believe that this was a thing that has happened. Yeah. Um, and I think they did a great job of playing into the haze Code, knowing that, oh, we know that this didn't happen to the character, but we need to make you believe that it did. Yeah. And so that's kind of takes the haze Code, and I love how they sort of turn it on its head.
1: Yeah. Working within the parameters they've been given. Absolutely. Yeah. And
0: that's something that just, people just don't do anymore. I think Fincher and Seven is the the example that I keep coming back to, is in Seven, we don't see... Any of the, I mean, of course, at the end, it gets a bit more graphic and we do see both Wrath and Envy, but the other murders we don't see. We see the aftermath of them and we see little bits and and pieces of... You're, what went into making the murders happen. You're
1: foreshadowing a future episode. I am episode. foreshadowing a future episode. I know.
0: But the idea being that the the filmmakers don't need to show restraint like that anymore and they don't need to be inventive to get around that problem is something that really bums me out. It's something that we were missing, you know, films like this and Psycho where it's like, well, we can't show what happened. So we yeah. have to make your, we have to make you believe that you've seen it. Yeah. That I miss that in
1: filmmaking so much. Well, and it's a it's a problem that I, I think uh, directors need to give themselves and and knowing, oh absolutely you know and uh, the short short just brief example of that is when people think of how violent Pulp Fiction is and it's like n- it not, really, not really isn't though not really at all. There's some blood and there's some moments like that, but again you're you're not like, you know people are convinced they see the needle go into Uma Thurman's chest. You don't that never happens. She props, she pops up and it's stuck there, but yeah. you never see the needle go in. Not a once. Yeah. So. Anyways. I mean like
0: the most violent mo- thing in that movie is probably Bruce Willis cutting that guy through with the samurai sword and it's just a red line across his chest. Yeah. I mean it you it never, doesn't
1: when it, when he when he stabs him it's behind him and it's off it, it's off screen. You can't yeah. see it.
0: It's nothing it's nothing more violent than that, which as a Tarantino sidebar is at when I rank his filmography, Kill Bill is at the bottom. Okay. Uh, but I, the thing that I do respect about Kill Bill is I think he took a lot of those arguments to heart, people calling him a very violent filmmaker in which he's, he's kind of not. We never see the ear get cut off in Reservoir Dogs. Like you said, we never see the needle go in the chest in Pulp Fiction, and that's what I, in a way, admire about Kill Bill. He's like, oh, well, you think I'm a violent filmmaker. Here you go. Oh, we're going to go all the way with this thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, so yeah, I'm glad we agree on that. that's a That's a problem that's really missing in Hollywood is... We as audience members were were spoon fed, and we've talked about this in other regards to filmmaking, whether it be score or writing or whatever else. But when it comes to to issues of of violence, I I don't think that we as audience members are being asked to do enough work.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I I totally agree.
0: And this is one of the uh, next to Psycho for me. This is one of the classic examples of that.
1: I I t- and I I, I and, and definitely in regards to. Um, the stuff at the at the motel, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's all implication.
0: And I'm not trying to wrap up the episode no, no. at all, but um, while I'm thinking about things like that, favorite shot?
1: Um, I don't I don't know that I have a favorite shot. My favorite, I I it's or probably, our favorite sequence, it's maybe. Prob- yeah, it's it. I would say it's probably the um, the the end. Once he's being recorded, like him following him through, because like, like oh, Charlton
0: Heston under the bridge yeah, and then on top of because it. because
1: thinking practically, then you probably had to be that close with the wire to work, you know. And so like him having to stalk along and not get seen. I there's something really tense and interesting about that. Um, so yeah,
0: I think that's just as intense as the opening sequence.
1: Yeah. Um and, and I was to say, like the the, the opening track and shot is good. Um but I, but, I, but it's the easy choice. Yeah, I think so too. There's also um so in, in terms of the research I did, so they say that this was the first time when, when Vargas is driving with um oh god, I just looked his name up. Um with Al, Al Schwartz. Um that was the first time they actually record a dialogue in a moving car. Yeah. Um so that's cool. And, and first time Heston got
0: to quote unquote
1: direct. Yes, I, yeah. I heard that yeah, too, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not that shot. It's the, I really like, cause they, they have the chat and then it, it, it cuts to a, a, an overhead shot of them driving away and the camera or the car speeds off faster than they do. And, and then eventually is out and the camera's moving a lot. But I really fucking like that. There's something about like... Oh, I love that too. Because they think they're like... There's like this like, oh, we're going to go crack the case now. And that's not what's going to happen because Quinlan is going to flip those two guys and he's going to make them believe the believe he's, he's actually innocent. Um, if you really want to read into it, the camera stops knowing that
0: they will get stopped in their tracks as well. If you want to... No. So, yeah, look know. at that. That's yeah. some PhD level shit right there. Yeah, I know, there. right? Yeah, yeah. So my I have I have so many... It's so hard to choose one. I love that. I love the idea that it's the first time they didn't have to use the poor man's process, that they actually went, no, let's let's do this thing. I love the inventiveness of that. There's a little throwaway shot towards the end of the film where Menzies is trying to get the drunk Quinlan to come out um, of Tanya's, and he stands up, and there's a massive, like, bison or bullhead behind him for That's like no right. reason i That's love the, right. i love the juxtaposition of what that says about his character and his size and his sort of bullheadedness yeah. if you will yeah. to pardon the pun uh which uh, another quick sidebar that wasn't i know orson welles got to that size but he wasn't actually that size yeah, when no, they made this movie yeah the, well, um, do you want to tell the
1: story there was one
0: uh oh when he went to dinner he didn't have time to change and somebody was trying to like placate and be like orson you look great
1: yeah that's a good
0: one. So that's a great little throwaway shot. Um, God, I'm sorry. I have so many. Um, another amazing one. Oh well, I I mentioned him being drunk in that scene with the in Tanya's the uh, the moment where, you know, Uncle Joe is trying to. <clears throat> spin him onto his side and go, hey, we both have this Vargas problem, let's conspire. And he's trying to coax him into having a drink because he's been on the wagon for, I think Menzi says like 12 or 14 years, he hasn't had a drink. And, you know, Quinlan is so shocked by the fact that he's being, you know, he, Vargas is trying to do him over and, and ruin his entire reputation. He takes a drink without realizing. And Grandy's like, come on, have a drink. And he's like, I don't, I don't drink. And so that, mo- that realization that he's already had one and he's like fallen off the wagon without even knowing. I think that says a lot about alcoholics. I think that's a really fantastic moment that speaks volumes. That's a fair point. That's a very fair point. I fucking love that so much. Um, Another one is even before that, uh, when he gets accused and he storms out of the room, you know, he's talking about 30 years of service, 30 years of this, and Uh it's shot really low and it's following him back through the hallway looking him looking into camera that is great the way he's storming down there he just fills the frame and he's just this raging he's a raging bull <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Fuck it. God. I, I got i got puns for days hey. um, and then and then my my final favorite shot is actually another Uh, backwards tracking shot, very much like that one where Vargas finds out what happens at the motel and he goes back and he's searching for his wife and he's searching for his briefcase and the gun that he had in his briefcase is gone and he goes to the bar and he just goes. That's When you say this isn't, you think that Heston is miscast, this is the redeeming moment For me, I, that husband on a mission to find out where he, he really sells that. I love him in the bar searching for his wife and starting shit with those guys. And the bit, the shot that I love is where he picks up a dude and he is like walking him down the bar and slams him down on the bar. That is like a really dynamic shot that doesn't, it feels years ahead of its time. That doesn't feel like something that should be in a fifties film. I do. I do enjoy that moment. It feels very modern. Yeah. You know, considering this is a film that's you know seventy-some odd years old now, yeah, or we're heading up on my math right now. Whatever, it's fucking old. <laughs> a
1: long time ago, it, it was made a long time
0: ago. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I got lots. Sorry, it's but, sixty. It's sixty-two years old.
1: Sure, that's all good. It's good. It's 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 almost uh it's almost ready for. God, for I again. even
0: I even fucking love the shot at the end where he's as um, he takes a he takes a little pot shot at. Vargas as he's walking away from him, and he says, um, "That was, you know, that I don't miss. That was just to get you to turn around. I don't want to shoot you in the back, but you could run for it." Yeah. As he's baiting Vargas to run from it, I, oh, I fucking love that. There's, there's just literally nothing about this movie I don't like. Oh, I, I, I love that we are now in a place where we can, we can never say that we have a director's cut. We'll never know what Wells's intentions are. His sure. original cut is, is gone. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe I don't know. Hopefully, there's all kinds of weird shit that has cropped up yeah. in the years of people doing film research. So I don't, maybe I, somewhere in some vault, maybe his original director's cut exists.
1: I mean, I do appreciate what they did to to reconstruct something to as close as they could they could guess. Yeah, from the memo. Yeah, um,
0: and it's a really if you have the chance to read the whole thing, it is actually really you would imagine somebody. Orson Welles, a reputation like his, you know, that struggling artist who was done over so bad by the Hollywood system. You would think that it would be rambling and a lot of nonsense, but it is actually... Really fairly balanced, and he does acknowledge some of the good things that they did for the film. But it, it really is a plea to be like, hey, you know, I'm sorry I fucked. He doesn't go and say I'm sorry I fucked up and walked away from the movie because that's ultimately how he lost control. He went out to Spain or Italy to try and work on his Don Quixote movie, yeah, yeah. which is still unfinished. It will never ever be finished. yeah uh, Asked Terry Gilliam about how hard it is to make a Don Quixote film, uh, but it, I think it is a fairly balanced plea of like hey yeah the, the, you guys did good but uh, I had a vision you know I had an idea of what this film should be and I'd really like you guys to consider that before you put it out I think it is very eloquently written
1: and and th- that's the vibe I would have gotten you know and and it's it is unfortunate well it's I mean I know he made movies I know he stopped making movies in the U.S. after this and right that's it is a bummer it, it is I mean
0: it Orson Wells is one of those we have you know there's there's six of his in the book I mean we've we've got a lot of great things, but it is really the career that wasn't. Yeah. You know, starting right at the beginning, his first film out of the gate, biggest controversy, it was the most modern film ever made. Nobody had seen anything like it. We have so many great filmmakers because of Citizen Kane. I mean, there's I we for just for example, we wouldn't have William Friedkin without Citizen Kane. Sure. And I know you have you have your you're maybe not as fond as Friedkin as I am, but I think that would be a massive loss to cinema to not have
1: something No, I, like I'm am a fine fan of Friedkin. Oh, all right, I dig a fine it. Fine fan of Friedkin. That's there you go. That's a good alliteration yeah, there, you. man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. not playing too. I'm good at improv as well.
0: <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know if I'm swaying you onto my side of the fence or not, but I
1: no, I just it's, I it's 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 weird because I'm also in a boat where. I didn't hate it. I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that I didn't like the movie. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um. And and again, I I made this. Uh, what what was it that we watched that I didn't like? Uh, oh, Aguirre. Yeah. Um. Like, well, you came out of the gate. No, oh, hard. Strong. You, hard. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that movie yeah. sucks. Um. But it was. But like, my recommendation was I Daniel Blake. But it was mostly out of a, like that movie is great. It was in the book. It's not anymore. Fuck you. Put it back in the book. And. In, in terms of thinking about this movie, I don't I don't know that I have anything adequate to replace it other than being like, I really like this movie that's not in the book. And most of the times I feel like we're really good about trying to either in tone or genre or, 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 the or director, director yeah. of trying to put something in the book in its place that would make sense. And where I'm falling is that I don't, I don't have anything adequate I feel like I would put in the book in its place.
0: So you're you're almost leaving it in by default, which I imagine is is frustrating. It, it
1: is. And I think that's kind of where I'm ultimately falling at. I would love to see brick in here, but I again I feel like that's more that's Fuck, me. Fuck, I love brick. That's me and not necessarily like I, I don't know.
0: Brick is the greatest noir of the last twenty years. I fucking love it's Brick. It's the it's the best fucking noir of the century. And I know we talked about so far.
1: We've talked about Brick. I think on every noir we've done so far, I because Brick fucking is so love good. Brick, um, and and how it's not in the. I mean, there's a lot of movies I'm surprised are, are are not in the book. But so that that's where I fall mostly is. I'm not really convinced. I'm gonna edge towards yes. I think it should be in the book. That's, now.
0: I brought up something very briefly. I mean, do you do you see the sort of how like modern this film was and how sort of ahead of its time Orson Welles famously said that he would like to one day just be on time. He was massively ahead of his time. Even to the point where I mean, obviously they didn't know, but this film does mention in passing the idea of not necessarily a border wall. But there's that great sequence where where Vargas and his wife are driving away. Um, not at the end, but this is closer towards the beginning of the film. It's there, they're on their way, you know, out of, of Los Robos and, and they're, they're in the States. They're on the U.S. side of the border at this point. And he, they're talking about something that he says, it must sound corny to you because they're talking about their relationship, their interracial marriage, and relations between Mexico and the United States. And he says to her, uh, it's one of the longest borders in the world. It's 1,400 miles and not a single machine gun in place. This must sound corny to you. I had that line too. And honestly, I, man, I, I echo, I echo that sentiment. I, I wish it didn't sound corny. Yeah. I I wish it was true because our relations with Mexico are, are not great. I wish they were better.
1: Yeah. I
0: wish our relations with a lot of countries were better. That's true. That's true. Uh, But I, I, I think this film is massively ahead of its time and it's just as relevant now as it was in 1958. And I, I cannot thank Walter Murch and Schmidlin, uh, yeah, I got, I got his name here, for for, yeah. for dealing with this and making sure that we see the most complete version of it possible.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give it a yes. It's not my most thunderous and resounding yes, but I it is a yes. As far I'm as
0: noirs go, I'm assuming you're still on the Double Indemnity or Sunset Boulevard side. I, of, I've not seen Sunset Boulevard. Oh, you've yet. not? Well, um I've uh, got to confess to you, neither have I. Uh,
1: there you go. Um, no, for me, it's still, it's, it's, it's got, it's, I probably go Double Indemnity and then probably Third Man and then um, Maltese and then this, I would okay. say. I mean, my noir doesn't run deep. I, I I bought like a 10 pack and I've seen. But of
0: the, of the four films that I mentioned earlier. That would be my order. That would be yeah. your, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Well, and obviously I don't think I should say, I have to say it's a yes from me. I, Fucking I mean, love but this let's, film. Let's, let's, let's make it official. Make it though. official. Yeah, we'll put it in the book one of my favorite noirs of all time i really want more people to see this thing and i'm really i'm really glad that it was something as well that i got to share with liz and and experience it you know through fresh eyes with her that's always one of my absolute favorite things to do is because i it helps me find new appreciations when someone else who hasn't seen the film maybe calls out something that i didn't see yeah or they reaffirm something that i love about the film like the opening tracking shot man i gotta tell you she was just Zeroed in, and I couldn't have been happier about that. I'm like, yes, fucking great. We're time. gonna have a great experience enjoying this together. There you go. Well, um, so gather your loved ones and have and a great
1: time. Watch the- this movie, um, but and but, but please let us know what you think of Touch of Evil. So hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know if you liked it, if you didn't. What are some other noirs that are good and worthy of conversation? Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all those great places, and more. Um, And uh, stay tuned next week as we uh, broach our first martial arts movie? Uh, The
0: Wusha films. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I'm going to feel
1: like an idiot if I'm not. We'll figure it out. Um, But until then, I'm Adam. And I'm Ian. And we will see you next week.